Welcome to episode number 296 of Destination Linux, a video podcast show from the Text Digital Network. If you're new to the show, Destination Linux is a discussion podcast perfect for all experience levels. Whether you're brand new to open source or a guru of sudo, this is the podcast for you. My name is Jill. I'm Ryan. And I'm Michael. And on this week's fun episode of Destination Linux, we're digging deep into my museum of computers to bring you something really special. So... You're telling us that Jill's treasure hunt is back? Yeah. It's back. Yes. Back. (laughs) Then we will be discussing KDE on the big screen. Plus, we have our tips, tricks, and software picks. All this and more coming up right now on Destination Linux to keep those penguins marching. This week's feedback comes from Jeff. If you want to send in your own feedback, go to tuxdigital.com slash contact to get in touch or join the Tux Digital community forum by going to tuxdigital.com and clicking on the forum link at the top of the page. Jeff goes on to tell us that he actually has two topics and tips that he wants to share with the audience. Not a brand new Linux user, but over the past year has become their daily driver, which is awesome. The first tip there is that they utilize Remina for their remote desktop control. And Jeff goes on to talk about how amazing Remina is, and especially with people working remotely and having remote offices that they need to connect into, how much Remina can be an advantage for utilizing that. And we've actually talked about that, I think a couple of times on this show about how powerful that tool is, because I absolutely love it as well. But there's lots of new people coming into Linux. So I love that Jeff gave us that tip because it's definitely something to check out uh, using RDP remote desktop protocol. The second tip is they manage a team of data scientists and analysts for a large electricity provider in the US Southeast. Sometimes they require very beefy machines, processing, computation, et cetera, but still a large body of work can be done in Python or R in a reasonable time. They visited a store near their home and they had a relationship with one of the local computer stores and they bought a Dell that was basically off lease. And a lot of companies do this. They have to buy, if you're big corporations will buy thousands of computers at a time. And then they basically refresh them every couple of years. They're still fantastic computers for the most part. And so they lease them from Dell or somebody else. Then they come off lease and people resell those. And so you can get them for a really good price. And usually they're pretty well taken care of. So it's a great option out there if you're looking for a computer. They were able to pick up a Dell for less than $500. It's a six-year-old workstation. They expanded the RAM to 32 gigabytes. They're not running any games on it, uh, but they are able to do all of the various distributions and software that they do on a daily basis flawlessly. Current distribution is Pop! OS, which is perfectly suitable for home use. I agree, and the beauty of Linux is that you can run on older machines. Don't let old machines go to waste. Love the show, thanks, Jeff. I think that's perfectly said. I mean, old machines, Linux, what makes it amazing is you can do that type of stuff with it. Yeah, and it's so true, Jeff. An old Dell is perfect to run Linux Mm -hmm. on. They are just rock-solid workhorses, are very stable, and they tick along for years and years. And actually, Linux really loves their hardware. And one of the reasons is, is, is that's because they use Intel motherboards. And I've actually got many Dells in my collection and have also repurposed Dell Intel motherboards in many builds. So sometimes yeah. I'll go out of my way to to buy a used, you know, like Dell Optiplex motherboard and and put in a new computer build just because they're so stable and they run great. 
One of the things I love on Hardware Addicts is I get all excited about the new tech and I'm usually talking about all the latest and greatest stuff out there. But Wendy always tends to bring it back in about, hey, what about used? Don't forget used market and those type yeah. of things. Yeah. And I love that about her because there's so many people who really you can get such a better deal uh, buying these things used and they're no long, they're, it's not like they're outdated and you can't utilize this stuff anymore for even gaming. You could get used computers for gaming and have a fantastic time with it. In fact, a lot of my stuff comes from eBay. I buy mm -hmm. a lot of things from yeah. eBay out there. So definitely with Linux, one of the advantages is you could pretty much install it on darn near anything. It could save you a ton of money. And in the PC world, unlike Apple that retains its value pretty well, PC computers do not retain their value well at all for the most part. There's a few exceptions out there. So you can generally get a one to two year old machine and save up to 500 to $1,000 on that machine just by picking up a year or two old. So definitely good advice. Yeah, absolutely. Unless it's a GPU, then don't do that. Yeah, unless bet. it's a no. GPU. Don't <laughs> yeah, don't do listen that. Listen <laughs> to the recent hardware addicts and we'll talk to you why you don't want to buy a used GPU right now, for sure. And uh, thank you, you know, Jeff, also for reminding us about the uh, Remina client. It is wonderful. You know what's also wonderful? Me. Digital <laughs> Ocean is what I was going for, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, they're wonderful, too. <laughs> this episode of Destination Linux is brought to you by DigitalOcean. Get started right now by going to do.co slash tux2022. Cloud computing can be, let's say, complex, but standing up reliable, affordable cloud infrastructure really doesn't have to be. Thanks to DigitalOcean, you can get set up and running on their awesome cloud platform quickly and easily. At DigitalOcean, you can enjoy a comprehensive portfolio of compute, storage, database, and networking products that put your cloud infrastructure in capable hands so you and your teams can get back to doing what matters most, building world-changing apps that grow your business. DigitalOcean also offers predictable pricing, robust product documentation, and services that developers love. For example, I love DigitalOcean's Marketplace. You can find all sorts of great software that you can easily set up as droplets with just a few clicks. It's so awesome. Plus, at DigitalOcean, you can get started at every stage of growth. Whether you have a team of one person or a team of a thousand people, with DigitalOcean, you can get growing with, with their simple, powerful cloud computing services. And as a listener to the Destination Linux podcast and a member of the Tux Digital community, you can get started for free. In fact, it's better than free because DigitalOcean is giving you a $100 60-day free credit when you go to do.co slash tux2022. That's do.co slash tux2022. So go ahead right now, go to do.co slash tux2022 and get that $100 free credit on DigitalOcean's awesome cloud platform. Like we said in the intro, we have another treasure hunt. It is back, and I am so excited to talk about this. Everybody knows I'm a huge hardware person, obviously. That's why I'm on <laughs> Hardwareetics. That's why I host. I'm the main person on Hardwareetics. Isn't that right, Ryan? So I'm so happy to talk to, talk to Jill about some new stuff that she, well, new to us. What do you have to show everybody in from your, your museum of awesome hardware, Jill? Oh, so for today's treasure hunt, I am actually going to feature a computer that me and a lot of computer users who had nerd chills for back in the early 1990s when we saw it in a certain featured movie in, in the theaters. And that is... Let me give a hint for what that movie's going to be. Easy money. That was the line <laughs> that they used when this computer was shown. It is called the Atari Portfolio. 
it was featured in one of my favorite films of all time, Terminator 2 Judgment yes. Day. <laughs> if if you didn't remember the line, easy money, come on. <laughs> yeah. Good job, Jill. <laughs> yeah. So in Terminator 2 Judgment Day, the young John Connor and his mate jump on John's dirt bike and head to the mall to hack the ATM and get some sweet cash to play the uh, arcade machines in the arcade. And the young John Connor uses his Atari portfolio and a hacking program called Pin ID to withdraw some much needed playtime funds. I wanted this so bad when that film came came out because I had been wanting one of these before the actually film came out. But then when I saw it, saw it being used, I'm like, I gotta have that. So Jill, I have to say <laughs> that that scene out of Terminator 2 really stuck with me from the moment that I saw that scene as a kid and I probably shouldn't have been watching Terminator 2 but that's a different discussion but when I saw <laughs> that scene as a kid and I saw him hack that machine it really stuck with me and I remember doing a lot of work with MS-DOS around that time frame and writing scripts and things in MS-DOS and it made me want to be a hacker but yeah. I was never good at hacking and I never got to the point where I could steal sweet, sweet cash out of ATMs. And I also didn't think that that was a real computer he was using in that scene. I remember yeah. thinking that was a prop, like a Hollywood okay. prop, because I never saw it in stores. I never heard the name of Atari portfolio. Like it was completely just when you said you had this and I <laughs> saw it and I was reading about it and realized it was in Terminator 2, it kind of blows me away because that scene stuck with me as a kid for so many. I thought it was the coolest thing ever that he stuck a card in the ATM and the machine, you know, little portable computer hacked it away and got him cash. It was just so dope. Yeah, it 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 really was. And I had known, you know, again, I had known about the machine, but it wasn't really until it was featured in that movie I realized I really need that. I've always uh, was so excited, you know, about the the future of little computers. And this little guy was the world's first palm top computer. Yeah, it, it, it started a trend, that's for sure. <laughs> and what's really fun is uh, those of us who have them lovingly refer to them as the POFO. <laughs> so we call them the POFO. <laughs> So is that Thank for portfolio? Cause yes. Or, okay. Okay. Oh, the Atari portfolio. Yeah. Okay. Po I kinda, portfolio. I, I got to tell you, Jill. <laughs> I love. I, every time you hold it up, I kind of just want one more. Yeah. <laughs> there's there's something about that machine that is special. It's just it's so it. nicely designed. Yeah. It's really nicely done, designed. And yeah, hint, hint to uh, manufacturers later, this has a far superior keyboard on it than most of the pocket pieces. I'm not surprised. <laughs> yeah. And, you know. By the way, I think I think I know why Ryan, why you are you're so every time she holds it up, you're more and more excited about getting one <laughs> is because you want to go back to your hacker days when you were known as Crash Override. Yes. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. You nailed it. Yeah. yeah. It's very special also that Atari was able to put their name on the machine because it has an interesting history. DIP Research Limited, based in Guildford, Surrey, UK, released a product in the UK called the DIP Pocket PC in 1989. Soon after its release... Actually, Dip licensed this product to Atari for sale as the portfolio in the UK and the US. Is this because so, you had to dip into your wallet to be able yeah. to pay for it? 
Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that was a good one, Michael. Yeah. Okay. yeah well, don't give him credit, Jill. He'll keep it up. <laughs> well, I'll keep it up I anyway. Have, doesn't matter. I do, I do have Michael AI installed <laughs> on this little guy because it's small enough to fit on here. <laughs> Your whole brain can fit on that computer, Michael? Yeah, Your whole all, brain. All 16 kilobytes worth <laughs> of it. That's amazing. You know, oh my goodness! Don't be embarrassed by that, Michael. You could launch a space <laughs> shuttle off of a calculator. So you know the power of a calculator today. So literally, you're oh, yeah. oh, fitting thanks, there. Thanks yeah. for bringing, <laughs> making, thank you for making me feel better about the ridiculousness of you creating this pointless project. Which, by the way, uh, quick thanks to all the people who've been submitting patches to Michael AI. I mean, we yeah. nearly perfected yeah. it. Quick and thanks. I'm not joking when I say that. So head to my GitHub.geek and you can see and contribute to Michael AI there. Jill, you loaded awesome. Michael AI on that? Yeah, I, I actually did. <laughs> oh, man. Terminator is more real now than it ever was before. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, what's cool is Atari, you know, took on actually the distribution and manufacture of the device and reaped all the benefits. So for them, yeah. it was easy money. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, uh, you know, what's interesting also is that in Italy and Spain and Germany, it was originally marketed as the PC Folio instead, which is very in interesting. Hmm. And DIP actually officially stood for Distributed Information Processing, although... Behind the scenes and secretly, it actually stood for David, Ian, and Peter, the three founding members of the company who were former em employees of Scion and who were brothers. That's cool. And it originally sold for $399.95. I remember that's what I was impressed with because I was expecting this thing to be like $1,000 when I first saw the ad for it back yeah. in 89 um, when I had just graduated high school. I figured it it'd be minimally like $600. And no, it was $399.95. Now, did you get that back when it was released or did you get that many years later? I got this one many years later. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That makes sense. It was one of my first eBay pur purchases in the early 2000s. <laughs> Jill, Jill's such a hacker, an elite hacker, that her first eBay purchase is the hacking machine from Terminator 2. Yeah. Now, what's really unique about this machine is it runs off batteries, like regular yes. household batteries. Double A or triple A batteries, something like that? It does. It's uh, Power su is supplied by three AA re removable alkaline batteries, just off your sh shelf. In fact, I just put some a fresh set in here. <laughs> so and cool. the, co the computer's memory is actually preserved during battery changes. But as I found out, you have to change the batteries fast because you only get one minute to do so or the memory in your files will be erased. <laughs> oh. And there actually is an AC charger uh, available as well, which, which I do have. <laughs> so yeah. that comes That's a in good handy. Buy. Yeah. <laughs> and there's a, another unique thing about the hardware is that the sound, and this is one of the most amazing things about the device, the sound is actually handled by a small dual-tone multi-frequency speaker capable of outputting tones between 622 and 2,489 hertz. It's actually the same range as a touch-tone telephone. I was going to say telephone. that. Telephone. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so users could not only use the address book to store phone numbers, which it has a nice address book, but you could actually 
use it to speed dial them too by holding the device up to a telephone handset. Jill, Wasn't you could that hack, innovative? You could literally yeah. hack pay phones with that. There were hacks back in the day where yes. you would basically play certain tones and that would allow you to make calls for free. But yes. because that has a speaker on it, you could have done that with that device. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. In fact, in the BBS days, Ryan, uh, I, I knew people who did that. <laughs> I bet you were yeah. one of them, Jill. <laughs> I, I, I think you I, probably she, did. She, yeah. she quote unquote knew people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, another uh, cool thing about the hardware is that it has an Intel 80C88 CPU running at 4.9152 megahertz, which was actually pretty impressive for this little guy. Yeah. And it runs the DIP operating system 2.11 or DIP DOS, an operating system mostly compatible to MS DOS 2.11. And some of the DOS 2.11 functionality is actually lacking, and some internal data structures are more actually compatible with DOS 3.xx uh, series, the 3.0 series. Because that means it wasn't fully compatible with DOS. It's Correct. Just, and, so and you some can't games, run everything. Yeah, you couldn't run mm -hmm. some games, but you could run others. And... Um, it's because of the memory, you know, it didn't, it doesn't have a lot of memory. <laughs> so, and speaking of memory, it has 128 kilobytes of RAM and 256 kilobytes of ROM, which contains the OS and built-in applications. And the onboard RAM is divided between system memory and local storage or in, in DOS, the C drive. So, uh, the LCD is is monochrome without a backlight and it is actually very hard to read especially if you have low vision like like me and in fact uh to prepare prepare this for the show i i had to use a magnifier <laughs> with it uh wow. the, the screen size is so small yeah and yeah my little it it it, it went into power save mode <laughs> right now so the keyboard has 63 keys and a qwerty layout and it has a very satisfying audio click when you push the keys. Now, Jill, one of the things about this device that's really interesting too is the amount of add-ons you can do with this. You have serial port add-ons and you have memory, stackable memory add-ons yes. for this as well. So you could keep connecting memory modules like over and over again in this to expand its memory, which, cause I'm looking at some of these on eBay cause I want to be like Jill. And I see all of these awesome accessories you could get for it, which is really unique for that time, I feel like, that they had that many add-ons. Yeah, absolutely. There is an expansion port on the right side of the computer for parallel serial modem or MIDI expansion modules. And yeah, as Ryan was saying, you could stack those on top of each other to do uh, multiple tasks at once. Or even probably connect a printer to it. But exactly. the fact that you could keep expanding memory modules into it, I mean, yeah. I guess it would be bigger and bigger and bigger, but I still think that this kind of kills its portability, but I still think that's pretty cool that they were thinking of that back then. That's wild. Yeah, absolutely. You know, using the parallel port expansion module, a, a standard parallel cable and the software supplied, which was DOS-based, the portfolio can be connected to a PC for transferring files to and from the unit. It looks like they were selling a proprietary version of memory cards that yes. you could use in this device. And what's interesting to me is it looks like a giant SD card. 
Like yeah, it, it's fact, like a very early SD card. In fact, I have that right here. This card. Yes, look how. So cool. uh, on the left side of the computer, there is a B card expansion port. These are called B cards for removable memory. It's actually not compatible with PC card as it is is you know predates that standard. But these are the cards used in a lot of synthesizers, like the Roland synthesizers and uh, a lot of the other brand of synthesizers of the time use these cards. In fact, a lot of them still do use this uh, type of card. Wow. So Now, they did make a drive for that card that you could plug into a PC so you could transfer files. Yeah. Yeah. They they did make a drive that you can connect to a PC and then copy the files from it like you would a floppy drive. And... Something very unique about it is that the memory expansion cards were backed up by a replaceable battery. It's very similar to the CMOS in your computer. And this approximately lasted only two years. <laughs> so, so I've just actually recently put a fresh <laughs> battery wow. in this card to read uh, some of my old files from it. And these cards came in came in in 32K, 64K, or 128K, which is, this this one is a 128K. But later on, they actually had a capacities up to four megabytes. Woohoo! Man, oh. <laughs> that could hold like eight Michael AIs on it. Yes. Maybe more. More, more. Yeah, more. So and, many. More. <laughs> and what's interesting is in a, a, the Atari portfolio in in their version of DOS, the DIP DOS, this is actually at, um, accessed by Drive A instead of, uh, you would think, you know, that's usually uh, Drive A and B is for uh, floppy drives normally. But there were expansion expansion modules and one was a floppy drive. There you go. And Why not? As, yeah. And as Ryan was saying, memory expansion units, you could actually... You know, connect multiples of out the out the end, so you have this long. It looks like a huge. It's a huge dongle. By the time you got done, they were the first Apple dongle. Apple copied them to create their new stuff. Michael, like from nineteen eighty, <laughs> they went back to nineteen eighty nine and were like, "I missed the dongle thing. I yep. missed yeah. daisy chaining stuff together." Yeah, <laughs> I love it. You know yeah. what's interesting about using that as a hacking device that they chose for the Terminator movie is that it really is the perfect hacking computer because yeah. if the cops bust in your home, you remove the batteries. You only have to hold the cops off for a minute before everything is erased. Then you have your memory cards and you just pull the battery out of those and then you're going to lose all your information there too. So as far yeah. as privacy people privacy are concerned, and security. this is the machine you need to be using full time now because like nobody can store anything about so, you. So privacy pro tip, check out the, uh, the Atari, Atari portfolio. portfolio. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to have a hard time getting on the internet. You might want to check out Net Zero, some of those type of services. You're going to get like 2600 baud. Actually, Jill, did it have any type of internet capabilities? No, but there were many hacks for like a, um, you know, an old 2400 baud modem. (laughs) So, by the way, when you guys hear um, that creaking sound in the background, that 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 is not uh, Michael's weak thumbs. That is the Atari portfolio opening opening up. Yeah. Yeah. And in fact, this (laughs) one. funny okay so so the first time when she opened it when we first started this segment i was like all right i'm gonna edit that sound out now you gotta leave it if i take this because i made it a joke yeah (laughs) 
Yeah, Actually, so... Jill, do me a favor real quick. If you could close that. Okay. Okay. And then Michael, hold up your thumb and start going like this. Like slowly go like this. Go ahead. And Jill, open it as he's doing that. Another awesome thing is all the uh, how you access the software on here. So the it has uh, many built-in programs which are accessed by pressing the red Atari key here and several letter keys that are labeled underneath designating what program is launched. Hmm. So for instance, uh, the Atari key plus S is setup menu. That makes sense. And your Lotus 123 file compatible spreadsheet is Atari key plus W. And the text editor with basic word processing function is Atari, the Atari key plus E, so on and so forth. So yeah, there's also, um, you can access all the software via menu keys as well uh, with the uh, Atari key plus Z. And it's also got a personal calendar, an appointment book with programmable alarms. There's an app for file transfer to upload and download files. Wow, that actually has more features than GNOME does, Stan. Yeah. It's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> and wow, shots fired. Shots <laughs> that fired. Me laugh. <laughs> and what I think is really cool about this, this is something that didn't usually have in DOS unless you installed a special program. There is a clipboard to move or copy data within a file or between files or programs built in into the computer with just key commands. You know what's interesting about that is it took <laughs> Apple forever to get cut and paste into their phones. That's, that's yeah. serious. Like it, it came like way later. Android had it first, and then yeah. finally Android got cut and or Apple got cut and paste in iOS which was amazing how long it took. And here we have a device from 1989 yeah. that had that functionality. Um, but I do feel like this was a predecessor to the smartphone. I feel like these type of devices Absolutely. here were the beginning of the revolution that took us to the smartphone devices because this yeah. wasn't completely yeah. functional as a full computer. Like it did a lot of cool things, but it wasn't quite a replacement for computer. But yeah. what it did do really well is kind of get us really in tune with the idea that we want a portable device on us, something like that, that we can carry around and do those things. And this is kind of the beginning of the smartphone era. In a way, this also is like a, it looks similar to a, what a Palm originally was doing with mm -hmm. their devices. Absolutely, yeah. Michael, absolutely. And Ryan, I think you nailed it because, well, first of all, this communicated with the telephone. Yeah. <laughs> so. <laughs> yep. And Jill Makes used sense, it to right? hack payphone calls. Yeah. Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, so when uh, um, you press the keys, the, the computer is off right now, but when you press the keys, they make a click that actually comes through the sound card and there are telephone tones. <laughs> so neat. That's yeah. so neat. It's an awesome computer. I jonesed over it for a long time. In the early 2000s, I had to grab one. Like yeah. I needed to get my Terminator 2 hacking on. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> easy money, Jill. Easy yes, money. Yes, easy money. <laughs> well, Jill, this is an amazing device. I absolutely, you got so much nostalgia going. Not only do I have to go watch Terminator 2 now, 
I want to try to find one of these and buy it because when my kids are like, dad, I want a computer too. I'm going to get them one of these because how much damage could they do with that today? Not very much. They can't even get on the internet with it. So I think it's a perfect computer, but it had Lotus one, two, three. It had all kinds of cool mm -hmm. stuff you could do with this machine. So Michael, you're going to have a bunch of pictures and things that Jill shared that you would see throughout this. So I definitely recommend people go back and watch the video version of this show because Jill's treasure hunts awesome in audio, but it's way better in video because you're going to be <laughs> able to actually see Jill holding up this device and you're going to be able to see some of the menus and things um, that she sent to us that Mike will have in the picture section because it's kind of hard for Jill to hold up and show yeah. anything because it's like a monochrome screen. You're not going to see much anyways. Yeah. Turns out I mean, they didn't have retina back then or no. 4K <laughs> or any of that stuff. Yeah, and even, you know, it, it's it was on for the first half of the segment and it it you couldn't see it on camera, so. <laughs> yep. While we're not far enough in the future yet to have robots come back and be able to protect you, we have the next best thing, and that's Bitwarden. Bitwarden nice. is the password manager that we love and trust. Bitwarden provides you the tools to store all your passwords in a secured vault, auto-generate those passwords and usernames for you to automatically fill in all of that for you. It takes care of it. You can even put this device on your web browser. You can put it on mobile apps, desktop applications, the command line if you want to. You can have Bitwarden on everything. I have Bitwarden on everything. I know Michael and Jill have Bitwarden on mm -hmm. everything. It's the greatest password manager out there on the planet. Why do we love it so much? Because Bitwarden seals and encrypts your private data with end-to-end -end encryption before it ever leaves your device. So you know you're the only person with your data. Plus, you can get started for free, but for $10 per year, for just $10 per year, now that's easy money. You could get that device Jill just showed, go to an ATM, get $10 out, nobody's gonna miss $10, and get your Bitwardens, don't do that, that would be illegal. But just $10, <laughs> it's so simple, and you're gonna get a gigabyte of encrypted file storage, two-step login key with YubiKey, U2F Duo, Vault Health Reports, Bitwarden Authenticator, and Priority Customer Support. I use the YubiKey all the time. In fact, I just had a video drop where I'm checking out the new Thelio. And one of the things I wanted was a control panel on the top of the Thelio. Why? Because that's where I keep my YubiKey so that I can get into it. Adds another factor of authentication. And you can do that type of stuff with Bitwarden to keep your passwords even more secure. You get all that for a dollar per month. Are you kidding me? Like, why wouldn't you go right now and sign up? You've heard about all the news of what happened to LastPass recently. If you're still one of those people holding on to that, it's time to come over to the right side of the bridge, okay? Bitwarden.com slash Tux. That's slash T-U-X. Go check them out. Thank you, Bitwarden, for sponsoring this episode of Destination Linux. So generally, I only say really nice things about the hosts on this show. I never pick on Michael. Definitely would of never course. pick on Jill. However, Michael, I have Can't to call you out you on ever. this episode. I'm, <laughs> I'm sorry. I know... Oh, really? This is really weird for you, probably, <laughs> that I say something negative, but... I mean, this is completely new, of course. I mean, that's so this needs to not be like done. you. I okay. want to let everyone out there know, uh -huh. Michael is not a KDE fan. He is a fair-weather KDE fan. He is a pretend KDE fan. He's one of those people that lives in Florida and then wears a Dallas Cowboy <laughs> like jacket because the Dallas Cowboys are winning the football games and then they're trying to support a team that they have nothing to do with. That's Michael and KDE. 
You said fair weather fan? Yeah. I've never even heard fan. of that term. What's a fair, fair weather, weather fan? fans are like, they're only fans when it's convenient for uh, them. Oh, because the it's, in, yeah. it's good weather. Yeah. That's yeah. why you like it. Okay, yeah. I get it. I get so it. So they call it fair weather fans. And why right. you're a KDE fair weather fan, not a mm -hmm. true fan, is because mm -hmm. I happen to know you do not use KDE Plasma big screen, ah. which is where you should be doing all of your media mm. consumption. But you do not, because you are a fair weather KDE fan. Aww. Well, that's an interesting point, sir. You're right. I do not use plasma big screen. It's also not out for production. That's why I don't use it. But that's not important to your your reality that you're trying to push. And I understand that. I just wanted to make it clear that the first version that plasma big screen is actually available for usage is plasma 5.26, and 5.26 is not out yet. So you're right, I don't, but no one You could have does. been using it in <laughs> bug testing if you weren't a fair weather fan because no, I've used talking, KDE no, big you screen. you say about testing. You I've said about it the using back. it. That's testing, different. Testing, using it is the same. You should be there with your KDE <laughs> brethren and helping them produce this amazing product, but you ain't there for them. You're leaving them out there cold and lonely and sad. You're trying so hard to make this make sense. You're, it's not working. <laughs> All right. Well, enough picking on you, Michael. There is something cool, though. KDE Plasma Big Screen is really cool, and 5.26 Beta is out. And for those who don't know, Plasma Big Screen is an open source user interface for TVs running on top of a Linux distribution. So if you're sick of Roku devices and other things that have a lot of data gathering. So like we protect our computers, I feel like really well in the Linux community, but then I hear a lot of people using things like Roku's and other stuff that you're just giving up your data from another computer device in your house that you think is just for your TV. But those things are, oh my gosh, just read the privacy terms. Any case, use something like this on a Raspberry Pi 4, for instance, and now your media boxes around your home are actually open source technology that's much more privacy focused. Plasma makes things look good and this big screen is no exception. Oh yeah, it's very cool. It looks like a, a merge between the Plasma desktop and a Netflix interface. It looks really good and I do have plans to try this out and put it on a Raspberry Pi or Fair something weather. like that. But <laughs> it's not ready to do that just yet. It's close, but it's it's not ready to do it right now. So I have played with it and I have tested it out in the sense of I technically loaded it up on a system, but that really I didn't really use it necessarily. But mm, so that sounds uh, legit. <laughs> it is legit. It's just I mean I don't use it yet, but it's, it's not out beta. yet. So I have an I have a loophole there, Ryan. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. And I think you know honestly, KDE has done such a great job with their their plasma mobile so a big screen version of plasma makes a lot of sense yeah the, the reason why i like plasma is that it's so customizable but it uses the cute toolkit which is also very you know platform agnostic it can be of all yeah. kinds of different platforms you can put it on but also it has the ability to do very like responsive design which is a huge huge bonus to the toolkit and for plasma itself because you can resize it but make everything you want like you could change the panel size you can change the icon size and it will just adjust to whatever you're changing it to because it's using this toolkit so it makes sense that they have a plasma mobile for small devices and plasma big screen for tvs because the plasma mm -hmm. desktop environment 
is designed to be able to go whatever configuration you want. And they're just optimizing it for that use case, which is, is fantastic. Yeah. And I also, Michael and Ryan, I love the integration of the open source voice assistant, Mycroft AI. Yes. That is and, not as good and, as Michael AI, but. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's but I was happy there. they included that, you know, because <laughs> we we really need a really good, uh, we, we have, you know, the Mycroft is a really good open source option for voice control. Yep. And the more people utilize it and are not Fairweather fans, the better it will get. So mm-hmm. if the more you want more to you say this does not make it true, <laughs> just <because laughs> want to make sure you're not a Fairweather fan like Michael, go out there and download this beta, get involved and check this project out because they're doing a lot of awesome work there. And it's really cool to be able to say you run Plasma on your desktop, your laptop, and all your TVs. I mean, then you're true Linux enthusiast, KD enthusiast. True, true. Hey, Ryan, uh, how many computers have Arch on your, uh, have Arch installed right now? Um, anyway, so let's get into the <laughs> gaming section yeah, now. So who's a Fairweather fan? I oh, like Fedora too. I never said I don't like Fedora. Fedora happens to be on most of my computers right now because Fedora's dope. So shut up. <laughs> shut up. <laughs> Are you one of those people that doesn't play games because there's too much clicking and action? Well, we have the game for you. It's called True Idol Simulator. And it just... <laughs> It's too ridiculous to cover. I know. It's so it's so ridiculous. Jill just can't take it She's anymore. She's just broken. We broke Jill. <laughs> so True Idol Simulator just, just sits there and shows you a list of players who are top idlers and closest idlers and has a countdown for how long you are playing and your number ranking. I think we should clarify that the idea of playing is very, very loosely classified for this ah. game. <laughs> Yes. First of all, Jill, I need to stop you. Who picked such a stupid and ridiculous thing to cover oh, in our gaming thank session? Thank you, Ryan. <laughs> oh, it was, oh, it was me. It was oh. you, yeah. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. So, Jill, one of the things I really admire about you is that when I put a game on here, you actually go and play it. Yeah. However, I wanted you, because we're going to talk about the fact we have a vacation coming up, I wanted you to have a vacation from having to play games. So you really Aww. didn't have to play this game. You kind of just... That was very thoughtful, Ryan. <laughs> Thank you, Joe. It's very thoughtful, Ryan. So- That's a good way of looking at the ridiculousness of putting this in the show. <laughs> yeah. I-, I actually ran this game about huh? an hour and came in at She's my played it anyway. number. <laughs> yeah, number 50. I just had it running in the background and just used it on one of my uh. monitors as a screensaver. Because it's literally just text on a, a white image that that shows the people that are in the game and how long they have been in the game. That's it. It just it's, shows. The, it's it, effectively it just, a collaborative stopwatch. Yeah, it's a stopwatch. A collaborative That's stopwatch. So, Jill, how much disk space does this thing take? Like 14 gigs or what? This is pretty advanced. <laughs> So that's the beauty of it, Ryan. It only takes up 75 megs of disk space. That's so you fair. really don't that's have fair. much to lose, except maybe your sanity. I feel like, <laughs> I feel like the writer of this and uh, me have a lot in common. If you take Michael AI and this and combine them, like it's limitless. Don't make, the don't give them more ideas to make ridiculous. Yeah. <laughs> we don't need. 
and it has a Linux native port. Oh! <laughs> yes, thank goodness they ported this to Linux. Jill, I couldn't help but notice you pulled one of the reviews for this game. Can you yes. read that for us, please? Yeah, it says, brilliant game, a must-have for all super lazy gamers. <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. Oh, my gosh. And so this game can be had for only $2 on Steam, and right now it is on sale for just under $2. <laughs> what a deal. I mean, there's people in our community that say, hey, uh, less gaming stuff because I'm not a gamer. Well, now yeah. you can be. Now you yeah. can be. And you literally have to do nothing. You, We get complaints from people who don't like the gaming segment because they're not gamers. So you're like, let's see if we can find a way to fix it for them. Yes. Exactly. Here you go. <laughs> yeah. They need, to, they need to join the pack. And now they can do so without having to do anything, really. Perfect. Spending $2. <laughs> All right. So our software spotlight this week is Aviator, which is a lightweight flat pack first, which I love, easy to use GUI utility for encoding with SVT, AV1, and Opus. For those who don't know, AV1 is an open source royalty-free video coding format that's developed by Alliance for open media and allows for massive data efficiency when it comes to reducing the amount of storage taken by 4K and 8K without reducing the quality of the video. So this is going to become more and more important. Now your phones are shooting in 4K. Some phones, I think, are shooting in 8K, some of the ridiculous ones they have out there. But cameras are coming out in 4K and 8K. The problem is, if you've ever messed with that type of footage like I have, it takes up a tremendous amount of space for all these closed-source codecs that are supposed to be so great because they're closed-sourced and they got all these billion-dollar companies working on them and stuff. Well, they're junk compared to AV1. AV1 really is the standard here for these. So check out this tool, Aviator, which will allow you to do that compression with those video formats. So Aviator is a great app and it's really easy to use and convert videos and even has a dark mode. Yes. And speaking of AV1, NVIDIA is actually supporting hardware AV1 encoding with its just announced RTX 4000 GPU series of cards. And rumor has it that AMD will do the same with their next-gen GPUs that will be announced in November. With that said, the forward-thinking Aviator app will become even more useful and relevant in That's the awesome. future. <laughs> yeah. Because now that we have hardware supporting that codec. So. Yep. so the tip of the week this week, if you go back to last week's episode where Ryan decided to test us and he said... You, we, I bring something to you every week, and you probably, you know, at least once a week say something like, oh, yeah, of course, we know this. And so he decided to test us. And this week, that's what the tip of the week was for me. Ryan was like, hey, have you heard of this? Yes, of course. And I'm not a fan of it. But first of all, the tip this week comes from a Reddit post, and it's a basically about the being able to middle-click paste. Now, for those who don't know what that means, you can essentially... Uh, paste in multiple ways in Linux. And you can select the text and then use the middle click or the scroll wheel button that is on your mouse. And if you don't have a scroll wheel, you can hold left and right click on the same time and it will do the same thing as a, an act like a, a mouse button that sometimes, some mice aren't supported for that, but a lot of the times they are. And it will paste whatever is in that selection. This is cool. And it can be fantastic, but there are times where this can be a little bit irritating. 
And for me, the reason I'm not a fan of it is because the clipboard with control C and the clipboard with this are separate. So if you control C something and then you select something, those will be different things. It's not always out of sync because typically you have to select in order to control C, but there are, there are times where it could happen. So this is a great trick for people who are you know, constantly using the mouse, especially if you only do one-handed copy-paste, because it is kind of difficult to do that with the Control-C, Control-V. And if you're doing it with just the mouse, it can be fantastic because you just select it and then you just do the middle click. So there is benefit there. But at the same time, I just wish those things would be synced. So just keep in mind, if you're going to use this, that there, there could be a slight differentiation between the two. But with that in mind, it is a you know, fantastic. you're real negative, Michael, on the tip and trick of the week because you, whoa, I didn't whoa, know whoa, 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 this whoa. tip and trick even existed. I didn't yeah, know that you could just so middle amazing. click to paste. Yeah. I think someone may have mentioned it at some point, but I was like, yeah, yeah, whatever. I'm on a laptop, whatever. I but, 100% told you because I gave you a rant about it before. Yeah, but I love more this. Look I, what I'm doing to our notes. Look how efficient middle click is. Do you see wow. how yes, amazing it, it is? It is, yes. it is efficient and to for you to annoy our show, our show notes and just put a bunch <laughs> of extra stuff. But I just want to point out for those who weren't you know, listening, uh, such as people named Ryan, I said that with knowing that information, this is a fantastic tip. We're going to call you Menacing Michael. Menacing Michael's Aww. tip of the week, where okay. he ruins the tip <laughs> with his negative menacing attitude. Yeah. Okay. F to, to clarify to Ryan and to others, if you know that they're separate, it won't be as problematic when it happens. So now that you know, this is a fantastic and it is a quick access to copy and paste. Joe, so we're kidding yeah. spirits. What do you yeah, think about absolutely. this? Absolutely. Oh my goodness. So I use the middle <laughs> mouse button to paste on a, on a daily basis. Yeah, it's just old hat, especially when using X window managers like Window Maker, Flexbox, and even uh, the TWM from the Unix days. So this technique is actually carried over from Unix and one of the many advantages of why Unix systems had three button mouse to start with. And the very first mouse actually ever created was in 1968 by Douglas Engelbart. And it was a three button mouse, Michael. Oh, yeah. In your that's, face, Michael. That's, that's great. That's Jill great. just dropped the mic in your face. <laughs> That's great, and I do think that the middle click has a lot of value. I use middle click all the time. I'm not saying it's a bad tip. I'm just saying be aware that there are two well, different Well, this Reddit user was all excited. Saying. They were kind of like, hey, I've been in Linux forever, and I didn't know this, and yeah, I was like, yeah, exciting. me either. I didn't remember. I don't know. But either way, check it out. Just highlight something, and then middle click your mouse button in the middle, and you're just going to be like <laughs> magic, and you're going to yes. want to mess with show notes and stuff like I did with Jill and Michael for the last 20 minutes, because that's how cool it is. Speaking of announcements, though, we are going to finally take a vacation. Like, what? not a vacation, like, scale, where we go to scale and work, and there's no show, <laughs> but we're literally going to, like, have a Sunday <laughs> back. So we're pre-recording this episode for this Sunday because me and Jill, we're headed on vacation. Michael, you're in charge. Jill, did we really talk that through, that idea that Michael yeah. would be left here in charge? Because that's really... I think it's a yeah. whole place to burn down. Yeah, me in charge is the best. Ooh, he's I not think. really an adult. I mean, he has adult I'm, life I'm working qualities, on it. Like I a work. beard. Yeah. Aww. Well, we're going to let Michael take a break also. In fact, he's going to take a break from Twill next week as well. 
Nice. <laughs> yes. So there you he go. Needs We're a gonna weekend. be. You're going to have this hard. episode pre-recorded. Then the next week, there will be no episode because we're going to be off, off. And then we will be back after that with the next episode. This is like the first time we've taken a time off ever, Ryan, I think. Yes. So, ever. I mean... Because yeah, you could say scale. <laughs> we didn't do a show, but we were doing content and we were working yeah. the whole time. Yeah. So there's never a time we actually just took off. So we're going to have a little yep. bit of a break there, but then we're going to be back. And also in our announcements... This is the ninth year of Hacktoberfest. Hacktoberfest, what a cool name. Digital Ocean's month-long celebration of open source is shaping up to be their best one yet. Hacktoberfest is for everyone. So no matter what your skill level is, you've never typed the line of code in your life or you're the greatest programmer who ever lived, then you can go here to Hacktoberfest and get involved with projects. Do learn how to do pools, merges, be mentored with people and look at projects that you're interested in. It's all run through Discord, which by the way, you need to join our Discord too. So when you go join Hectoberfest, join our Discord, come hang out with us there because we're spending a lot of time and we always have special things happen. Like sometimes Micah will pop into the Discord. Sometimes mm -hmm. I'll pop in the Discord. But if it's really, really special and you've been really, really good all year, Jill will pop into Discord and send <laughs> some messages there too. So Aww. that's... It's kind of like a shooting star when Jill shows up. You know, make a wish when you see a message from Jill live in the Discord chat, for sure. So a big thank you to each and every one of you for supporting us by watching or listening to Destination Linux. However you do it, we love your faces. We're here every Sunday. Well, except this next one coming up live. <laughs> and the one Digital.com slash live. The best part is everyone is invited to watch the recording of Destination Linux each and every week. We can't wait to see you in the chat two weeks from now. Exactly. And also, our lovely patrons are able to watch this particular episode unedited by going to tuxdigital.com slash contribute and becoming a patron. And also, they get to join us in the patron-only post show that happens every week that we are live doing the show. And look, you're going to you're gonna miss us so much. You're going to miss Jill, let's be honest. You're going to miss Aww. Jill so much, but she'll be back <laughs> In just two weeks, so. And also, you know what you you could do so that you wouldn't miss Jill? You could get the 33% more Jill swag at tuxdigital.com slash store. Plus, also, we got a bunch of other stuff. We got t-shirts, hoodies, mugs, stickers, all kinds of things, except for whatever Ryan picks up. Just go all go to the, the tuxdigital.com slash store to get your awesome swag. And make sure to check out all our amazing, amazing shows here on Text Digital. We have the Pseudo Show, This Week in Linux, the DOS Geek Channel, Linux Out Loud, Hardware Addicts, GameSphere, and our virtual Linux user group, Linux Saloon. And everyone head to TuxDigital.com and subscribe to all these incredible shows. And don't forget to leave a rating on your favorite app so others can discover the power of open source and keep those penguins marching in the full Monty of Linux and open source awesome sauce. Everybody have a great week. And remember that the journey itself is just as important as the destination. I'm out. I'm on vacation. See ya. <laughs> I also like that it, it works. The way he put the sunglasses on was like the Terminator. <laughs> yeah. Didn't, 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 didn't.